as the crow flies on the Vance Crow Podcast. Dax, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> How's it going? It brings me back to another time. Yeah, man. So you are uh, <laughs> a longtime friend, a guy that I, I knew back when I was working on the Clipper Cruise Lines. Only yeah. you are not on a on a ship anymore. You are a Green Beret, a former Green Beret, living in an undisclosed location in Afghanistan. So welcome, man. Right. What uh, what is going on with you? Where are you? Kind of what are you doing over in Afghanistan? Uh, so uh, yeah, so right now, so uh, I was a Green Beret. Um, I got out in 2018, um, and now I'm a, just a civilian. So so basically, I'm a what's considered a civilian uh, private military contractor. I work for a company who has a contract with the U.S. government to s- provide security for a, a forward operating base out here in Afghanistan. Uh, and my job as one of the leaders is to, you know, make sure my guards have what they need. It's a static guard position, so they they stand towers and they watch the gate and those kind of things. And uh, I'm just in charge of those guys. It's pretty great, pretty great job. Pretty easy, pretty laid back. Uh, so we'll go into uh, what you're doing now, but um, you are a long, long way from where I met you. You know, you were working in the oh, yeah. hotel staff <laughs> of a cruise ship, and uh, one day I look on social media, and my buddy Dax, who we used to go out drinking together, <laughs> is now a Green Beret with photos of him blowing stuff up. Give me a little bit of your history, and then we'll go into the what's going on with coronavirus in Afghanistan. Sure. Sure. All right. So, uh, you know, um, I was working for the cruise ships and we got bought up by a second company. Um, and in that process, I kind of decided I didn't want to work for them. I had fallen in love with a young lady and, uh, was getting ready to move to St. Louis to start a life with her. And, uh, <laughs> but it turns out, you know, those, those relationships seem, seem a little bit sweeter when you're, uh, one of you's on a boat and one of you's not. So uh, as soon as we got back, that kind of didn't work, and uh, I was looking for the next fun thing to do. And uh, uh, there are a lot of Green Berets from my hometown, and one of them was a good friend of mine. And through talking to him, I decided, hey, you know, why not? So I did something that was kind of unusual. Most people who go to the Special Forces have already spent five or six years in the Army. Uh, I signed what's called an X-ray contract. To So basically you sign up a contract, you go to uh, Infantry Basic, you go to airborne school, and then you go directly into the selection process for special forces. And so I did that. Um, I became a medic, uh, what's called an 18 Delta. Um, the training was about two years long. I learned Farsi, which is a, a dialect of Persian spoken here in Afghanistan. Um, I went to the medic school for a year and uh, wound up on a team uh, in 10 special forces group stationed out of Colorado. I have a good buddy that uh, before we did this interview, I asked him about being a medic in the Green Berets. He said you are essentially a, a very sophisticated, maybe physician's assistant level in the civilian world for how much you know in order to be able to do your work. Yeah, you know, um, special operations medics as a whole uh, tend to be a, a pretty revered thing. Um, we have a school that lasts about a year long. Uh, what's interesting about it is you get about four or five years worth of college in that year. Uh, it's kind of what we call drinking from a fire hose, but, um, so yeah, all special operations medics go to the same school for the first six months. Um, so the Navy SEALs, uh, send their medics there, the MARSOC guys send their medics there and the PJs use the pararescue jumpers from the air force also used to send their guys. Although I understand they have their own school now. Um, so they go for the six months and, uh, we become 
trauma experts, basically, in the field trauma experts. And then what separates a Green Beret from everybody else is you stay behind another six months past what everybody else does, and you do your clinical medicine. So you're doing everything from, you know, learning how to diagnose, you're doing disease processes, you're even doing dentistry and uh, uh, veterinarian medicine. So you, you get a little bit of everything. And then once you were deployed, you saw action? You, you've been in, in wartime situations? Yeah, yeah. Um, so most of my career was uh, actually pretty laid back. I spent most of my time in uh, the Sahara Desert, um, just uh, working with troops there, training them up, taking them out on missions for whichever you know terrorist organizations were, were the big problem back then. Um, you may have seen in the news about, I guess it's about two years ago now, the 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 three Green Berets that died in, in North Africa. And, and that kind of opened up this scene like, wait, what are we doing in Africa kind of thing? Well, what we're doing over there is is that's the new terrorist battleground because they can take large swaths of that land that nobody's watching and and own it. Um, so we were there training troops, trying to get them ready to combat what's coming so that we don't wind up with a second Afghanistan. So I, this is kind of a hard, quick transition, but I have to wonder, what is the world of terrorism in um, during a, a giant pandemic? Like, is this ready state? You know, the military. Oh, yeah. Tell me more. Well, you know, it's 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 interesting because it, it slows down both sides of it, you know, um, and uh, we're just getting our first taste here in Afghanistan. So it's kind of hard to say right now. There's only about 300 confirmed cases. Of course, we know in a third world country, when you have 300 cases, you probably got at least 3000. Um, but you, you just don't hear about them. You know, you've got third world countries where the testing is not there. Um, and there's no hospital you know, services for a lot of these no, villages. They're not going. Yeah, to the doctor. I mean. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not too far from Kabul, so so there is quite a bit of, of uh, medical support around here. But yeah, I mean, they are uh, the big problem with Afghanistan is that you have people who have fled Afghanistan and gone to Iran to to not be here for the war for the last 20 years. Well, one of the big things that the Iranian government's doing is they've been deporting about uh, around a thousand people a month since this war began, trying to send them back over here. Well, they're just walking across the border from Iran. Now you have people leaving Iran in masses because they've been hit so hard by the disease. Um, and that's where you're seeing it come from. People are coming through uh, that border and coming into the Herat region and, and those places. And the, it's just spreading for there. The other problem with that is, you know, these people don't, you know, we, talk, we worry about Americans living paycheck to paycheck. These people are living meal to meal. You know, it, it it's not an easy life. So, uh, you know, when you shut down their ability to get food, it's it's much more difficult over here. It's it's amazing as you're saying words like, hey, they speak Farsi and they're in Herat. I actually in graduate school lived for two years with a guy from Afghanistan. And when I think oh, really? about, yeah, uh, uh, Zubair Fatahi and uh, it it's um Right now, we're thinking about the pandemic overrunning ICU hospitals, but you think about a world under which they don't have mass media, they can't warn people, the options to wash your hands are so much lower, the the right. quarantine stay at home that just doesn't work. That is that right. has got to be potential for real civil unrest or just massive death. Well, you know, I will say, uh, um, as far as personal hygiene goes, that's that's something that uh, Islam has always been very good about. Um, 
I mean, the, the need to wash before prayer that, you know, when I think on that level of washing hands and, you know, you know, taking care of yourself, um, the Muslim world tends to be much better at that than we do. <laughs> yeah, you know, so it kind of seems thing. like a selection but, pressure, right? The people that were the most devout washing their hands five times a day so they could pray, all of a sudden correct. their God would keep them safe. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so, you know, that's not bad. But yeah, I mean, it, people are hungry in in these countries. I mean, not only is it a third world country, but it's a country that's been at war since human history. So, um yeah, yeah, it makes things exponentially more difficult. So let's talk about you. You're in charge not only of uh, like the security, trying to make sure that that base is safe, but you're also a medic, probably involved in medical treatment. What, what... Yeah, so you know, I work pretty closely with the medic that's out here. However, uh, you know, that's not my main job. Um, so I, I would be the medical asset, medical asset if something happened for my company. But as for you know, uh, medical on the camp. That would be the medic out here. Of course, he understands, you know, that I'm a useful person for that. So we do a lot of work together. He talks to me at the end of the night. And we we kind of talk through, you know, what's happening, you know, what's going to happen and what we're going to do about it. Um, like we we had to push this a, a day back because we thought we maybe had a possible uh, um, case on post. We got lucky. We were able to test him. He was unconfirmed. So. As of right now, we're doing all right on this camp. So I don't understand how forward operating bases work at all. Are you coming in contact with strangers every day on the base? Is it how do you do some kind of containment? So I personally am not. Um, the way these things usually work uh, is there's there's an outer base and there's an inner base. Um, and so for us, like the Afghan uh, forces handle that outer security, and then they have their own compound. Um, then here where I am. Uh, living and working is just uh, American and NATO troops. Um, however, we do have shop workers that come on that are local nationals. We have, you know, the guy who runs the store, the guy who runs the barber shop, all those things. Um, even some of the people who work at the chow hall are host nation individuals. Um, so what we've done with that, we started this, I think about three weeks ago is uh, we just removed all of that. So no more shops for right now. No more, you know, no more sitting in the chow hall. Everyone goes, gets their food and goes back to another place to eat. Uh, you know, just trying to keep those masses down because we've been very lucky. We have not seen a single case on on here and we do not want to because it's such a, you know, it's it's like a cruise ship. It's a small ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, that's been one of the weird things for I think anybody that's ever worked on a ship is to watch these people that are stuck on a ship for two weeks, three weeks. I mean, that would be hell it, it, like to be oh, just I stuck mean, there. Uh, and just remember, you know, the Norwalk things that we would have go through the ship and it would completely, you know, just shut everything down. Now we're talking about a disease that, you know, um, is so, so much scarier to everyone, uh, even though I think. If you've ever seen someone with Norwalk, Norwalk, you know, that's pretty scary, too. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I definitely yeah. remember that. So, yeah, Dex, so, like, uh, what's going on day to day? What has changed then because of because of this? So, yeah, we've we've gone almost locked, almost on a lockdown style thing like we would do when we were expecting a threat. You know, we are, uh, um, you know, my guards that are up front uh, have a very specific list of people that they're letting in. Um None of them are host nation. They're all our NATO troops. Of course, you have to, you know, you have to balance this this line because the NATO troops are here for a reason. They have to be able to go out and do that. Um, but then they set, you know, according to the army, they set the guidelines that they they 
um, you know, that are responsible and that we can keep operations going. But certainly everything slows down a little bit. And uh, I imagine you got a base of guys that are used to getting aggression out and energy out by lifting or doing jujitsu or doing something. Yes, absolutely. That that has been a big one for us was losing the gym. Um, but, you know, the, the thing about these these guys, even the ones who work for me is, you know, if, even the people that are here that are not currently working for the military, they've all worked for the military before. So, you know, this isn't their first rodeo. Um, you know, we, we go to some places that have not much of anything and we get used to filling up ammo cans with rocks and using that for weights um right now my big thing is is the resistance bands that i've gotten into i saw you doing that you crazy. had a mia culpa yeah. saying i used to think this is not yeah so what were what was yeah. that all about well you know uh i'm a bit i'm a big uh, fitness guy I, I love working out i prefer the bodybuilding style now that i'm out of the out of the military and uh you know i was a bit of an elitist you know, I, I wanted to lift weights and I wanted to lift them heavy and I didn't want to do anything else. So when these, you know, these uh, famous bodybuilders would come out and be like, oh, I'm just doing bands from now on. I just kind of roll my roll my eyes and laugh a little bit. Um, but, you know, it's actually in a lot of ways a better exercise. And I've been forced to learn that over the past month uh, working out in this tiny little railroad car I live in. But uh yeah, I think it's. I think uh, it drove people crazy for a little bit, but now we're starting to adapt to the new way of life. We work out outside in small groups, and um, we're getting it done. Yeah, we still we still have our fingers crossed every day when we go to the meeting. Like, please say the gym's but open back up. <laughs> I for me it was a big adjustment because I had a routine worked out where I'm either lifting with one of my buddies in the morning or I'm going to jujitsu at night, and that schedule of having other people that were expecting you to show up was one of those things that I thought, oh, I'll never get over that. That's the only way I can work out. Well, now I'm either going to get fat or I'm going to get out into my into my backyard and lift some weights and do some body weight exercises. And so exactly, you figure yeah. it out. You know, yeah, I think it's a, a learning experience for all of us to uh, learn how to do some new things. Because, um, you know, when you are that fitness person, you know this because you're a fit person. Like, you like schedule. You like things to be the way they are. And when they change, it hurts. But what's cool about that is it reach, it causes us to you know reach outside the box. And now I have this admiration for resistance bands and body weight training that I used to just laugh off as nothing. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a good thing. And uh, but yeah, you you definitely you definitely have to get on it because I think if I were out here with uh, nothing else, I have nothing to do out here except work. So that was kind of my chi moment where I would just kind of you know get better for the whole day and get ready to do everything. And it went away. <laughs> so this is uh, changing the subject a little bit, but with regards to coronavirus, I've, I've had some people on where we're talking about the level of quarantine that is being put on in the United States. So first in St. Louis, the city, they locked it down and said, Hey, everybody stay at home unless you're an essential service. And then that's grown from there. And then you start seeing people say, if you see somebody going to church, um, you got to lock that down and you can report them. When I right. hear this, I understand that that is really important to not spread it because you're going to um, imperil the medical workers. You know, you may get more people sick than need to be. But on the flip side of it, there's a matter of liberty, right? We The First Amendment Correct. and the ability to gather as a soldier, as somebody that has fought and, and you know, we ha herald you as people that, that give us our freedoms. 
What do you think about those freedoms? How how on guard should we be? So, you know, I, I think it's a, it, it's an interesting and a very dangerous line. Um, and, uh, you know, and actually my view on it since we've started this has changed. You know, when, when this whole thing started off, I was like, you know, uh, when they take religious, you know, liberties away, that's when it becomes a problem. But, you know, in, keep in mind, I have a bit I've been here for this whole thing. I have not been back in the U.S. So I kind of got that um, outsider perspective of what's happening down there. And, um, you know, one of the things I saw was the church that I attend, the church that other people attend. Um, they're figuring it out. They're figuring out how to use the Internet. They're figuring out how to do these things to make to make these things still happen. Um, and I think that's the responsible thing to do. Um I think the dangerous thing is is when the government starts telling you you have to do that, you know. Um, but and, and there are some outliers. There are some churches that are saying we're we're still coming together, and I think that's dangerous. But I also think that's their right to to do, you know. Um, so I don't know if that's not really an answer. I'm kind of skirting the question there, um, just because I I don't necessarily have an answer. But uh, I mean, I, I think one of the things. Oh, go ahead. I guess my answer would be stay home. Don't go to church, but I can't make you stay at home and not go to church. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that that's been one of the interesting things about enforcing all of these rules, right? Because in St. Louis and in some of these other places, they've had an outbreak where police officers are getting sick. And so then those police officers say, hey, we're only going to go in felony criminal situations and otherwise we're going to ignore it and then so you start saying well there are people that want other people to behave differently so they're saying hey you guys don't meet in a church but they're not willing to go out and stop them and you can't really you don't want to ask your police force to do it so you get into these conflicts and i don't want that conflict i don't want people to be fighting over whether or not they can go to church but at the same time you start you start realizing that rules come when somebody is willing to enforce them. And if you don't have somebody willing to enforce them, is it a rule? Correct. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, you know, that's, that's one of those fine lines that we're skirting right now is, is, you know, trying to tell people and trying to, trying to hope that they will do it because we have no way to enforce those things. Um, you know, but, um, yeah, I don't, I think that's all about all I have to say about that. So talk about what it is like to watch this happen from a remote place far away from everybody else. I mean, I had a guy on from Montana and the day after we talked or two days after he had two people in his county get it. So you're more remote than that. What's it like watching the slow motion tidal wave? You know, it's so the view that I have most of it is what happens on Facebook. So we all know that's not the actual truth of what's happening. Um, I do get a little bit of, you know, mass media, um, actually remind me to tell you about the, the media that I get, but, um, you know, it's been, it, I was frustrating, especially in the beginning to watch people not take it seriously. Um, and I think one of those things that has happened through talking to my father about what's happened. And he told me, you know, Hey Dax, listen, I've been through this before. And, uh, you know, he's like, and every time, it's nothing. And uh, one of the things that was frustrating to me is that, you know, it wasn't nothing. The, the swine flu wasn't nothing. All these things that happened were huge events. It just happened that we did the right things so that they never became what this is. Uh, and unfortunately, when that happens, people think it was just a scare. They don't understand that, hey, you know, this was bad, but we did all the right things to keep it from being a, you know, a global pandemic. Um, they think, 
well, they were just, they didn't know what they were talking about. Uh, and I was scared that the same thing was going to happen here, you know, that like all these people, you know, that are the naysayers for the disease that say, um, you know, it's just the flu. It's, it's not that big of a deal. We can't do all these things that we're doing. If we do the right things, they will believe they're right, even though they weren't. And that's kind of scary. Yeah. I mean, the, the, when I started seeing the photographs and, and, and video out of places like Iran and even China, it, it didn't quite become like, holy crap. And just recently, if you've seen the video coming out of Ecuador, that place is hell on not. earth right now. That, that place is, uh, as far as I can tell, there are so many bodies and the poor people in the, in the slums there, they can't get rid of the bodies. So they're dragging them yeah. and then running away. And, uh, leaving them out in the streets. And you think about like, that makes this not a U.S. problem. And I watch the news right. in the U.S. describe it as like our people and our masks. And and I think like, it doesn't matter. Let's say you stop it in New York and L.A. and Florida and Nebraska. Fine. If you don't stop it in the barrios of Brazil, it's coming back. So we're all right. tied into this together in a way that we've never been all tied together in a war. Absolutely. It's it's an alien invasion is what it is. It's that thing that's going to bring us together to have to fix fix something on a global scale that we haven't had to do since 1942. You know, um, it's uh, it's an interesting thing. And, you know, uh, one of the places that I look to. So what I'll tell you right now is the the I was in medicine for 10 years, special operations medicine. We've talked about that. I was high up. You know, um, I, I was a very high highly appraised uh medic being a green beret medic and in that 10 years you learn a little bit about medicine but you learn a whole lot about who to listen to because the thing that you learn is that you know i could study my whole life and i'll never know anything know everything about this medicine so i have to be able to look to those people that know what they're talking about the pathologist all those people um and i think the average person doesn't understand how much knowledge it takes to be in their position, you know, how much schooling, how much, you know, practical work it takes to figure out how these things work. Cause we just know so little about medicine. Um, and I think the thing on Facebook is they read one article and they're like, Oh, it's just a flu. And they move on. And it's like, well, everyone who knows what they're saying is terrified. So I'm terrified. So tell, talk about the news. What news do you have access to? What are you paying attention to? And how do you know who oh, to trust? Okay, so, <laughs> so it's interesting because here we have something called AFN. It's Armed Forces Network. And it's basically a little cable box, a satellite cable box. Um, and there's, you know, there's a movie channel. There's a sports channel. There's a Jeopardy channel, which I watch every night. It's my new addiction uh, is Jeopardy. I've never watched it my whole life, but it happens to come on right when I come to work. Um, but then we get a news channel and what's interesting about that news channel is it plays an hour of a news station. It starts with an hour of Fox news and then an hour of CNN and then an hour of MSNBC. And then it rotates back and forth like that. And what's interesting about that is getting to see the different ways in which those, those organizations report the same news. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, that that's interesting. You know, you you'll watch a story from Fox, and it of course has that right lean, and then you watch the story from CNN, and it has that left lean, and then you get MSNBC, which is just an interesting news source to me. I, I you know I I've never watched it in my life before becoming a soldier. It just still happens to be on there, and uh, it is 
it, it is much more interesting than those other two I mentioned. So I had, you know, once you go to Clippership, you know, we we got off of the the main line. Hey, this is the way Americans get news. And once you got off the ship, I wasn't watching cable. I didn't get TV again. Right. So that was kind of my leaving this all behind. And now we're watching the local, not the local. Well, we do watch the local news, but we also watch like the evening news with CBS. And one of the things that I noticed is that all of their anchors enunciate their words and speak very slowly. (laughs) And you start like at first I was annoyed by it. And then I was like, oh, wait a second. This is so that the widest possible audience can listen. I mean, the reason that you don't get in-depth information here is because they're trying to hit the center of the bell distribution of what is it that people are able to understand. And so right. I, I had not ever realized it's, it's they're making a business case for making news simple so that the most people can understand it as opposed to <laughs> we're going to give you the most sophisticated understanding of epidemiology. It's a different world. Correct. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the interesting thing that separates, you know, uh, the 24 hour news stations from that is that those stations make their money on a political lean, not on actual news. Um, so, you know, going away from your CBS nightly news, it's interesting to see the war that happens there because, you know, um, everything's got to be politics on 24 hour news. Everything has to fit into that us them that one thing yeah that one thing that we could still argue about in our country now that we have all the information at at our fingertips and so everything including you know coronaviruses to stories about a cute little girl all have to be political this podcast has um opened up my eyes because normally i'm just interviewing experts and and people are interested to hear what does jackie joiner kersey think about dedication and discipline to to whoever else but on this one, I decided I'm actively going to find perspectives that make you upset. Because if I'm not, then that means I'm only interviewing people that already are in your echo chamber. I've never felt such pushback. I mean, people that I've known for years sending me middle finger emojis and wow. uh, and telling me like the blood of these people that will die is on my hands. And it goes on both sides. So it go, if I say, yeah, hey, absolutely. I'm, if I'm interviewing somebody that says – hey, shutting down the economy is going to cause more suicides than other things, then I get all these people saying, you monsters. And if I do the other one and I show, hey, this guy thinks the interstate should be shut down and we should really go on lockdown, there are people saying, you know, I'll I'll fight that with a gun. You know, I've got to have my freedoms. And you're like, holy cow, There's there maybe yeah, there is no middle know, ground. And, you know, I think uh, that's changed. You know, I, I think when we were going through our formative years, uh, I think we're about the same age. And when we were going through our you know, college years, it was still like we still valued opinions that weren't ours. Um, and, you know, I have an interesting life in that I've I've lived several different lives. I, I went to art school in Colorado. I worked on cruise ships. Now I work for the government. I worked for the Green Berets. So I have this wide spectrum of friends from the extreme left all the way to the extreme right. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the thing that people aren't doing, which is part of the thing that makes us great, is respecting everyone's opinion for what it is. I mean, just because you're talking to someone with a different opinion to yours does not mean that you agree with it. But have that discussion. Learn something. When we went to college, I had no idea how I felt about politics. And when I threw out my ideas, I would get crushed. And you know, someone didn't agree with it, they would argue with me. And that's what made me a person. 
It wasn't only hanging around with people who feel exactly as I do so that I can feel better about my situation and never grow. It was surrounding myself with people who felt completely different than me. Agreed 100%. And I think that one of the it's one, this this coronavirus thing has been fascinating because people will come with an extreme opinion that they believe is knowledge that two days later is completely smashed. So the thing Correct. about the masks, when they were like, hey, you're saying people should wear masks. That's not the truth. And then two days later, all of a sudden people are saying, hey, everybody yeah. should be wearing masks. And you you watch people move from I, and I think it's a it's a fear mechanism, right? We all overestimate how much we know about something. And probably Correct. as you were a medic, you get a couple weeks in and you're like, hey, I got this thing. This is not going to be too bad. And then you go a little further and you're like, oh, shit, I didn't know yeah. anything. And I think that that's what's <laughs> going on here. And the thing that uh, the reason I can be so open about my opinion is Nobody is waiting on me to make a decision. I don't decide whether Missouri shuts down churches or not, but you, as long as you're listening to other perspectives, that makes this a, a more colorful ad adventure, really. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like what you said about the, the things changing, like nobody knows how to do this. We are learning how to do this in 2020. You know, the last time we had this major thing was what, uh, 1920 with the Spanish flu, Um you know, it's interesting that these things seem to happen on the 20th year. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, w we don't know how to do this in the age we're in. And so everything we're learning, we're learning on the fly. So, you know, and it's just like working in medicine, you know, uh, let's say you were a person, just a first responder who did CPR, you know, in the time that I've done CPR, we went from chest compressions with you know, two breaths every 30 compressions. Then we went to only chest compressions because breaths don't work. Then we went back to 30 chest compressions with, with two breaths. Um, you know, the medical community is such to where we don't understand it. Everything is theory. And so, you know, as we figure this thing out, we're going to change our opinions completely from day to day. So, so you're a person that's lived in uh, extreme isolation for people that are now just getting into this quarantine and having the realization, hey, I may be here for another month, what can you teach people about how to make sure they use their time wisely and they're thinking about it in a way that keeps their mind strong? Yeah, you know, I, I have a little of that life. I've, you know, a lot of personal time spent alone while I was out here. Um, the thing I'll say is, is finding that schedule, um, finding, you know, setting a schedule and sticking to it, having that, you know, morning workout routine that you do, uh, you know, then reading your news, but then going away from your news, not spending all day on a 24 hour news cycle, just getting more angry and more angry and more angry. Um, get out there and learn a new hobby. One of the things I've picked up lately is uh, uh, meditation and I absolutely love it. And you know, that takes a, a, up a good portion of my day and it, you know, gets me centered, gets me ready to take on the day. Uh, and then at the end of the day, you know, I, I have my meal, I watch my movie, I read a little bit and I go to bed. You just kind of have to find that, that, thing i'm working right now so i have the opportunity to do that most people have you know all day long now in the u.s to do whatever they want but find find something useful to fill your time up with you know um and if you were advising somebody to have a civilian medical kit during a time when they think hey hospitals may may not be something you can go to for your regular stitches or your or you can but you're taking a risk going right what do you what do you recommend about what should be in everybody's first aid kit right now uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard for me to say I live in a trauma world. So everything with me comes with trauma. You know, I've got an entire trauma bag in my car, in the front of my house, all these different places, you know, that 
Right now, that might not be necessary. However, when when this thing, when our, our healthcare gets overrun, which I, I do believe it probably will, um, you're not going to be able to get that medical care. So what I would tell people for this particular time to have is if they have kids with asthma, stock up on their asthma medication. If they have, you know, if they have allergies, stock up on those things because, you know, all those things that you need for daily life, especially if it's respiratory problems, you're not going to be able to get once the healthcare is overrun. Um, you definitely don't need extra toilet paper, <laughs> I don't think. Uh, you, you know, and I, I, I think you just need those things that you need every day. Um, you know, have some Tylenol, have those things, but also always have a trauma kit. Always have something that you can use to, you know, stop bleeding. Always have, you know, Band-Aids, um, you know, alcohol swipes, those kind of things in a bag because, you know, if these things go further south, you, you, you're not going to get any help with those things. Yeah. Uh, back maybe at the end of February, beginning of March, I started really uh, buffing up my first aid kit. But I was a Boy Scout, so I had you know a reasonable amount of first aid training for, right. for a kid. Yeah. And one of the things I realized is you get a cut that needs three stitches – Right now, Vancey, I didn't I didn't have anything that could stop that. So I wanted to get a few right. things where it'd be like, hey, the the better my medical kit is and the better my skills are, the larger my perimeter is on the areas of things that I can take care of as opposed to going to the hospital. And I don't think that's for everybody, right. but if you're capable of doing that, having the supplies Absolutely. is what gives you yeah, that you larger know, perimeter. I think for that, like, you know, having some of those butterfly strips that you can use uh, is a great thing, um, you know. Having all those those larger bandages that you can use, some medical tape, some trauma shears, that kind of stuff is important. Um, but more important than being able to suture up a wound is being able to clean it. Um, because when you can't get to a hospital, that's the big piece you're missing is the ability to clean that wound. So, you know, having a bottle of alcohol in there, having if you can get your hands on on um, um and you're not allergic to shellfish, getting your hands on some rubbing iodine to rub a wound with, um, those kind of things. That's great advice. So Dex, um, I, I, one of the questions I've been asking everybody uh, is, what do you think the world will look like in two weeks? In two weeks? Um, you know, I would say one of the things that I, I've learned from the medical experts is how much we have in common with the Italian healthcare system. Uh, and how, you know, how their system is built almost the way ours is. They actually have per capita, they have more respirators, they have more hospital beds than we do in the country. Uh, but if you look at them, it's very similar. And the only thing different from them was they had about a three week head start. They got this disease about three weeks before we did because they had they had some people come back and start spreading it. Um, I think you can look at look at them and get a really good view of what the United States is going to look like. Holy and that's a scary, yeah, that's, that's a scary terrifying. thought, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it is. Uh, I think that's probably where we're, where we're going to go. Um, and I think at this point with the amount of cases that we have of people just not knowing they have it, you know, those, those true cases, not the identified cases. I, I think we're there. Well, and that's, uh, that's that, what we've got to look at. It's it's an interesting thing because St. Louis got prepared early where I'm at because I live in St. Louis now. And uh, now the, the beds haven't filled. And I am already hearing people say, well, I think that it was way overblown or we got this solved or even more people saying, you know, I think I had a cold where I lost my sense of taste back in November. So I'm probably OK. And you're like, hi, that's not a good. Yeah. What I tell take. those people. 
what I tell those people is, is let's wait and see. I hope you're right. You know, I hope we don't get overrun. I, I, but, uh, you know, we haven't reached that point yet to make that decision. Uh, and if we start making that decision now, we're going to make things worse. Amen. So, you know, you know, I, this is what I told some of my friends on Facebook. I was like, Hey, you know what, if this comes out and I'm wrong, make fun of me all you want, do it, but just do the things that you're supposed to do now, because I would rather be made fun of by someone who's alive than have to go to a funeral when this goes away. Powerful words, man. Dax, I'm going to let you go. I am deeply grateful for you being willing to do this. And thank you for being a guy that's standing watch uh, over our soldiers and making sure things are safe. Thank you very much for what you do. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's good to see you, man. Great to catch up, man. Thank you. (laughs) 